Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it's early. Set an alarm. My air conditioning is out. I'm sweaty, <laughs> and I am still pumped to talk to you about Dominaria United. How are things going? Ben, I have four holes in my mouth from getting my wisdom teeth out this week, and that's not going to stop me from getting to talk to you about Dominaria United on this fine Saturday morning. I am pumped as well. Boom, you one-upped me. Wisdom <laughs> teeth getting pulled out is rough. <laughs> I mean, knock on wood so far, it's been pretty mild. No stitches for me, so I'm, I'm doing okay. Recovery has been smooth, and I, I mean... It's hard. I, we, we've gotten a lot of comments, a lot of feedback from last week that like everyone was so excited about our episode. We came in hot. We're very like enthusiastic. That was fun to hear. So I feel feel a lot of pressure that we got to match that energy this week. It is not fake. Let me tell you, yeah. I legitimately love this format. And honestly, it's making me remember that I love magic and love Ooh. limited because the last couple formats like, yeah, if I'm being honest, like, you know, once we were four or five weeks into the format. I was cheating on magic with battlegrounds, like if I had a half an hour in the evening or whatever. And I, I have felt zero desire to think about any other game at all once this format came out. Yeah, I have the reverse worry is that the Brothers War is going to come out in like beginning of November or whatever. And I'm going to be like, no, 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 I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I know it better be good. We only get this format for like two months. I know. I know. It's crazy. The the uh, the spread here is not fair. But OK, so we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be doing a little bit more, you know, format generalities and discussions. But really, like at the end of last week's episode, Ben was just like, we got to just talk about draft logs, right? Because the drafts are really unique, I think, in this format and a super tough puzzle to quote unquote solve again, solve, I think not being the right word here, but just looking at the different paths and the different implications that each pick that you are considering is implying or giving you to consider for future picks. So we're going to look at a number of draft logs, give some framework before that some housekeeping stuff to take care of before we get into all that good stuff. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Look, I know every week we talk about Discord and Patreon like it's something that people know, but some people <laughs> out there might not know what it is. So I thought maybe this week, let's just uh, bring things down to basics and talk about what it is. So the Patreon page is like a Kickstarter for recurring events. So instead of things that are like a one-off, like a play or a movie or whatever, you know, we're doing a podcast every week. So Patreon is a place where people can support each and every piece of content that we're releasing every week. And you can sort of set stops or limits like, hey, I only want to give X amount of money per month and it'll cap you there. Or I only want to give X amount of money per episode, et cetera. And then for the amount of money that you give back that qualifies you for certain reward tiers, whether that gives you access to the discord, gives you access to our show notes, gives you access to an ad free version of the episode a day early, a little early access, all that good stuff is laid out for you to on our Patreon page. So patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to figure that out. And the discord is just a gigantic limited <laughs> playground <laughs> chat room. So whatever you want to talk about limited wise, it's there. So you like sign in, it's a little window that pops up. And then on the left side, there's a bunch of tabs of, hey, Hey, these are the things you can talk about. You can talk about, you know, in the summer, we had a, just a whole smorgasbord of Streets of New Capenna, Double Masters, and Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate. And then there were the Alchemy Changes, etc. And in each of those formats, there are different smaller chat rooms for, you know, card evaluation, big picture, and then draft log reviews, and what's the play, what's the build, sealed pool discussions, etc. So you get to post, hey, what would you do with this? And then other folks can respond back with you. And you just get this really awesome back and forth. You can tag people if you want. So Ben and I are in there, and you can tag us. 
and you get little notifications that pop up. It's really sweet. I remember uh, Beers SC, who is a fantastic limited player and uh, supported our show for a long time, supports both of our streams. He's a streamer himself sometimes, but he's uh, you know frequently in both of our Twitch chats. And you know, for a long time, I think he was a patron and hadn't joined the Discord. He was like, I'm kind of a boomer. I don't know if I want to like get in on this. <laughs> and now he's like one of our bigger contributors. He like finally, I was like, you really got to get in there. You're going to like it. And he did. And he does. And so I think if you have, if maybe if, for folks out there who are current patrons and have not joined the Discord, maybe this will give you a little push to be like, eh, maybe I will check that out. It's really, really a sweet place to be. So we got a lot of folks to welcome to our Patreon and our Discord this week. So this week we are welcoming David, Ed, James, Andre, Nathan, Billy, Gabriel, Roland, Joris, Sean, Elliot, Alex, Michael, Mac, Lot, Ramon, William, and Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And honestly, while you were talking about what's Patreon, what's the Discord, I was just thinking like, in general, you know, our show manifesto or whatever, our target audience is ourselves, right? Like, yeah, our baseline for Lords of Limited is we wanted to make a show that we wanted to listen to. And I think as a result, we just assume that everyone knows everything that we know, because that is our audience. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think and I think we assume a level of limited competency coming to the show. And so similarly, I assume a level of like internet I know competency isn't the right word, because like, you know, some people are very, uh, very smart and well educated people. And they're still like, what is Twitch? No, I'm not doing that. Or what, what's going on with this podcast thing. But yeah, so I think uh, I thought it was like, maybe I should should just bring this down to brass tacks. You know, no, it's good. I love it. And we got a tweet about fish. Like I was talking about giving people oh, yeah, fish. Yeah. Yeah. And someone was like, well, what does that mean? And it's in reference to give a man a fish he eats for a day. It should probably be give a person a fish at this point. There give you go. Give a person a fish, they eat for a day. And teach them to fish, they eat for a lifetime. Like that expression. And we just do stuff like that all the time where we throw things out without explaining them a whole lot, I think. <laughs> yeah, like the phrase like clocking something or the phrase... Uh... Heads up on clocking something. It means paying attention to because you're going to hear it a lot in this oh, episode. Audible. Audible's the other thing that we uh, that we bring up a lot in draft. Football's back, baby. NFL this season. Yeah, there you go. All right. That's my spiel about the Patreon. Love it. Show's also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball and TCG Player. Channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic-related including Dominaria United Sealed and Singles, maybe for a Commander deck if you're branching out in the constructed territory as well. But honestly, this format is awesome enough that I think you should pick up a box of Dominaria United to store, to draft with friends down the road. Yeah. I have done that with a few formats recently, and I am definitely going to be grabbing a couple of Dominaria United boxes, I think. Wow, yeah. Well, maybe I can get on that uh, that friend shortlist for the draft. Heck Yeah. And as we said last week, CFB Pro is popping with articles, mm -hmm. video content as well. If you're on the free side, you can check out showdown videos. We ought to plug those a little bit more than we, we got do. Two, I think two on of those the out podcast. this week. Yeah, two showdown videos. And if you've not watched one of those before, they're on YouTube. And Ethan and I join the same draft pod on Magic Arena via sorcery because people always <laughs> comment, like, how do they get in the same pod? We get on a Discord call and <laughs> join at the same time and make sure that we're in the same pod. And if you've not watched one of those, you see one person's draft, then the other person's draft in the same pod. And then we direct challenge the decks against each other. And it's a ton of fun. Yeah, really, really fun. Both, I think, videos this week are pretty sweet. Sometimes, you know, we don't like we don't curate them. They take a lot of work to like coordinate us, like getting in the same pod, etc., finding a time to do them. So the ones you see are the ones we do. Um, and I think sometimes they're like super fast and we're just like, oh, that, that, that was a really bad matchup. Whoops. This one, I think we got we got some good, uh, good matches out of both of these decks. 
For sure. So maybe if CFP Pro is not in the cards for you financially, you can check out some of that free content on YouTube that's also sponsored by Channel Fireball. And for anything that you're doing over there, please use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. Okay. Quick format check-in here, Ben. Any any additions, any updates for you from last week? I just wrote in our show notes, I heart this format. And I it's the honest to God's truth. There are people that are like, eh, I don't know, Dominaria, like not rares aren't good enough. Or I've seen a lot of criticisms on Twitter. That's fine. Like different formats, different folks. I think we've certainly figured that out by this point. But Dominaria United hits a home run for me personally. Yeah, I feel that too. I, I do sort of feel like I, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, that I do kind of, I am in the camp of like, kind of wish there were like a little bit more, maybe not even like bomb rares, but just some more pick order warping rares because it already feels like your pick order is warped, you know, no matter what you see that like the things are going to change for you. And I don't feel like there may be those cards that I open that I go, Ooh, I get to do that um, at rare at least. But you know, that's, that's a small gripe for a very balanced fun format. Um, I, I tweeted something yesterday that I wanted to reference here, which was uh, a theory craft time. And I know Ben said, you know, I love a good theory. Craft. And I said, and I think this might just be applicable to all formats as uh, Corticals responded to me, that the floor of the, your card quality in DMU is way more important than your ceiling. I think lots of folks seem to be confused about why a quote good deck underperforms. And it's often because it's not because of like the ceiling of card quality. It's because cards 16 through 23 are misevaluated or poorly positioned in the deck. And I think this format does that specifically because there aren't those bomb rares, there aren't those oops, I win rares that you can just sort of rely on and dig towards a lot of the time to just then go, okay, if I find this card, I win the game. And there aren't those like clearly busted commons as well. Like if Talarian Geyser is our best common, I don't think like a deck full of Talarian Geysers is going to win you the game like a deck like full of Blessed Hippogriffs or Inspiring Overseers will. Yes, completely 100% agree. And I think on that note, the decks I've seen that look the worst to me are, for example, like a white black deck that has Eerie Soul Tenders, which is the, the two and a black three one that when it ETBs, it mills three, and then you can pay four and a black to exile it from your graveyard to return another creature from your graveyard to your hand. Like that's very good in black decks that want to self mill with Writhing Necromass, mm-hmm. the 7B 5 5 Death Touch that costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Those are a package. And maybe I see a black white deck that has some eerie soul tenders. And then it's got Argivian phalanxes, which are mm-hmm. the five and a white four yes. four vigilance that cost one less to cast for each creature you control. But it doesn't have a lot of two drops like it has the cards that people know are performing well, but it doesn't have those cards in the right context. You know, like there's there's two disparate halves of decks together that don't work well. I think generally, if you have multiple copies of different common cost reduction creatures, you're in a bit of trouble. I think it's just generally hard. Like a blue-black deck that's both trying to reduce the cost of Telerian Terrors and Writhing Necromasses is going to have a bad time, I think. That's actually, funnily enough, the one place I kind of like them. No, <laughs> say it ain't so, Ben. It is, I yeah. just think it's so hard to strike the right balance of, I mean, Eerie Soul Tender is doing a lot of work there with the self-mill. I just think it's really hard to strike the right balance of consistently reducing the cost of them and not getting them stuck in your hand at, at top end. But I have not done it myself a lot. I've just seen like decks that have those and people going, why didn't this do well? And I'm like, well, that, that seems like a start. Yes, for sure. Uh, any updates to our top commons? Uh, I think a slight update. This happened immediately after we yeah. recorded last week for me. But uh, we said Rootwalla, the 1G22 that has three and a green pump, give it plus one plus one for each basic land type you control, was the number two common past green lands. That's firmly number one for me. I don't think I'm ever passing a copy of Rootwalla over lands unless I'm 
desperate for the the dual ETB tapped basic lands. Rootwalla has been a house in the green decks. And do you feel like it's still pulling double duty in terms of being both good in the aggro domain decks and the more controlling late game top end value domain decks? Or does it swing more towards one of those ends? I mean, you definitely prefer it in the beatdown decks. I think that is its best home because it puts people in an awkward spot where they have to probably take two damage for a while. And then they're in the habit of doing that. And then the one turn you activate, they take six and then they're yeah. in Outrider or Gaia's Might range or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think they're very good in the control decks as well, right? Because they're a premium two drop. They're a two drop that trade with people's six and seven drops. It's so dumb. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think uh, I think that card is awesome. I think that's definitely the top green common. And I think honestly, past the top one or two in each color, I'd say probably one. And even sometimes the one is contextual. I think we had those right last week. It just doesn't matter as long as you know which commons are important to which decks. And I think this will definitely have to be a show or segment of a show or style of show that we're going to do in the future. You know, we've done commons in context before, but I think we might even want to do more of a like archetype exploration. Like here are the all the viable things you can do and the sort of important or premium things to do in each of those decks. Yes. And I think if you don't know which decks the best commons go in and how to maximize them with each other and which ones overlap and let you do multiple paths at the same time before you hone in on a path, you're going to have a hard time in the format. And hopefully we'll shed some light on that for you here today. And there are also some resources out there for you. You know, go to Reddit, see decks that people are posting that are getting seven wins or decks that are getting zero wins or whatever, and, you know, use some deductive reasoning there. 17 lands is also a great resource for you to do that. You know, you can just go look at trophy decks. And if you want to, you know, filter out some noise, you can sort by, you know, higher rankings like, oh, I only want to look at the trophy decks that exist in platinum or above or whatever. But you can really just look, just scroll through and be like, I want to see what blue red decks are trophying. And then just look at the blue red decks. And of course, if you want to, you know, eliminate any of that uh, extra work for you. The Lord's Limited <laughs> Discord is a great place to do it. Hashtag plug. Well, and I think the other benefit of the Lord's Limited Discord is you're in that community with those people. You can tag someone and be like, right. hey, why did you do this with this deck? And if there's yes. one thing magic players love talking about, it is their trophy decks. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Okay, so yesterday on stream, someone asked me the question, which is better, Phyrexian, Rager, or Monstrous War Leech? So Rager being the common, two in a black, two, two, when ETBs draw a card, lose life. And Monstrous War Leech being three and a black with a kicker of blue. Its power and toughness are equal to the highest power and toughness among creatures in your graveyard. And if you pay the blue kicker, you mill four. And I said Rager. I was skipping school sort of <laughs> during my lunch break. And I was on Twitch on my phone and came in and said Warleach like pretty firmly for me. P- pretty firmly. Ben said Warleach like not really close. And, you know, Ben's, Ben knows how to get under my skin. He's like a good <laughs> life partner in that way. He just knows how to push my buttons. And it sent me into a bit of a tizzy until I really sort of dialed back. Because I was like, in my head initially, I was like, there's no way that Monstrous Warleach is better in, than Phyrexian Rager in the way that I was thinking about how I evaluate cards like that, which is in a vacuum or which card is going to go in more black decks or keep me open or end up in my deck more often at the end of my draft. However, I was thinking about card X versus card Y being better. And one of the things that I think Ben is very good at doing just in general, and I think is really helping him find success and find clarity in this format, is he doesn't think about that past 
getting his hands on the cards. Once he gets his hands on the cards, he's thinking about where is this card going to end up and where is its ceiling going to exist the most often, especially if it's in a less desired color or color pair or archetype than the best performing decks. So blue decks are the gospel for Ben. And so anything that leads him towards a blue deck is going to get bumps ahead of other colors, I would say. I mean, I'm going to infer a lot and then you can sort of push back on my thought process here, Ben. No, your thought process is great. Loved this happening live on stream. So I think how Ben is going to evaluate cards is that he knows what the best things to do are. He's going to try and bias himself towards those things. And I don't approach limited that way. And I think part of this is a little bit of best of one versus best of three, though I really don't want to get into that at all. But what I like to do is just like, you know, evaluate things in terms of if there are higher rarity things that are going to quote unquote warp my pick order or be fun to build around, I'll go towards those. But at the common level, I'm much more trying to, you know, be a little bit more open, even footed of taking a card like Phyrexian Rager that's going to get in every single black deck I draft. Every black deck I draft wants a copy of Phyrexian Rager. Not every black deck I draft is going to make the most of Monstrous War Leech. The reverse being for Ben is I think if he's getting into black, he is going to be in black in a deck that is taking advantage of Writhing Necromass being cheaper, and thus Monstrous War Leech is going to be very good, and his black deck is very likely to touch blue for that kicker, which makes Monstrous War Leech even better. So there is a very interesting thing happening here, which is that we're both responding to the same question with different biases or internal checks for what the question implies, and we are both then answering the question based on what we feel the question is actually asking. (laughs) And I think we're both right, but there's just so much baked into this very simple question of card X versus card Y that I think, again, makes this format so sweet, but also so challenging to get good at. Yes. And I don't think you could have this nuanced of a discussion in most formats. I mean, you you can have the same conversation to some extent, but what this is essentially saying is Ethan wants the higher floor, lower ceiling card that's going to go in his deck always all the time and be a good card. And like, I want the card that's going to have a higher ceiling than Phyrexian Rager, like when it hits, but also I'm fine just like moving off of it and not putting it in my deck at all. Whereas when you pick Phyrexian Rager, you're, you're getting a playable for your deck that's going to be very good. Right. I think I'm a lot more, a lot happier. Part of this is that, like, you know, this week I wrote about drafting black-white sacrifice in this format. And I, you know, as I we often do when we write archetype-specific articles for CFB, me, you, or Alex will message the other two and be like, hey, what trophy decks or draft logs do you guys have from <laughs> this? this? Is both you and Alex were like, nope, haven't drafted black-white yet. And I was like, this is literally my most drafted deck, my favorite deck in the format, and both of you have not touched it at all. Makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong. But I also think it's just this format is such a wide open playground that you can do that. And those are the decks I gravitate towards generally. And so I'm okay with like a deck full of, as you'll you'll see in one of our showdown videos, I'm okay with a deck full of, you know, mostly commons, some good uncommons that can grind and do this thing consistently. And I think currently Ben's just not going to end up in a black deck that looks like that for as long as blue is open in the way that it is for him. Right. And I think that is also you get more good cards later still in best of one. Like you still wheel Talarian Terrors sometimes like that shouldn't be happening and probably is happening a little bit less in best of three. But the other interesting part of this is this is sort of draft philosophical for the format. And I think either way leads to success, right? You can take Phyrexian Rager first and draft an amazing deck and you can take Warleach first and draft an amazing deck. Just personally for me, like Phyrexian Rager doesn't make me want to do black things, right? Eerie Soul Tender and Writhing Necromast does what you said there. But also, I think it's interesting to note that you have said you've not really train wrecked in this format yet, right? 
That is true. I have not felt like I have fully train wrecked yet. When I have, it's definitely been my own fault, not the <laughs> fault of like the table, you know? And I have train wrecked really hard, probably like two or three times because of this style of drafting where I'm taking high risk, high reward cards, and I'm willing to do that very late into the draft. Yeah. And sometimes like it doesn't all come together. and <laughs> I have a bunch of raging war leeches <laughs> that don't do anything with each other. <laughs> Yeah. And like, again, so I, I don't know how if we're talking about, you know, teaching people to fish or giving them fish, I'm not sure that this discussion does either of them, except really highlight that like, you and I are often lockstep. I talk about magic with you more than anybody else. I feel like pretty confident that I'm good at what I do that you're good at what you do. And we've got a very different approach to this like pretty simple question of which card is better X or Y. Well, but the important thing is, and I think the thing that people should be taking away from this is that you need to have an approach like you personally need to sit down and think like, what do I want to do? Where do I want to try to end up if I get to try to end up somewhere? Maybe it's blue, maybe it's white aggro decks. And you need to make some picks like with the intention of doing that when you can, but then also know what all those other paths are and know how to navigate down those other paths. But moral of the story, you can't be looking at a pick order list or you can't be looking at 17 lands data, I think and expect to do well in the format. So you need to develop your own philosophy. That's the important thing, I think, to take away from this is that you've got a way you want to do it. I've got a way I want to do it. And they're both going to be able to be successful because there's so many different ways to draft this format. Right. But you, the, the problem you're going to get into is approaching pack one, pick one with one philosophy, pack one, pick two with a different philosophy. And then, you know, your deck's going to spiral because you're bobbing and weaving in that way. Yes. All right. We're going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to be back with some draft specifics. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is a product that I've started using every day to improve my energy and immune system. I take it first thing in the morning, and even though it looks like a green smoothie, it tastes like a vanilla protein shake. So what is this stuff? It's as easy as taking a multivitamin, Ben. One scoop of AG1 shaken with water, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, while still tasting pretty good. With every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com LOL. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LOL to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now, back to the show. All right, Ben, it's draft log time. You got something for me? Oh, baby. Do I have <laughs> something for you? So show notes we did last night. You are like, can you look at the show notes? Can you look at the show notes? And I didn't have much time yesterday. Got home at about 10 p.m. and was <laughs> trying to pick draft logs for the show notes and just ended up for about two hours like gazing longingly at all my draft <laughs> logs in 17 lands because this format is so good. And I was seeing things that I hadn't seen before the first time through like different routes because I was really looking at them under the lens of, okay, what paths could I have taken, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. You sit down, pack one, pick one, see the following cards as options. I think there's four kind of viable options for you to take your pack one, pick one. And I don't think there necessarily is a quote unquote pick. And I think we're going to try to frame that's this. Sort of the, <clears throat> that's the point, right? Like is that it feels like it's a lot less like, well, slam dunk rare here. A lot of these drafts, it's rare where you get to a pick and it's like, this is pretty clearly the right pick. I think very often you have two, three, four choices. Well, and those two or three choices do different things for you, yes. right? Like there might be a more powerful card that goes in less decks or a less powerful card that goes in more decks. And that's powerful in a different kind of way that gives you power in the draft, right? In future picks. In years, magic philosophers will be talking about the Rager versus Warleach problem as a way to contextualize <laughs> this whole philosophy, right, Ben? I love it. Love it, love <laughs> it, love it. Okay, so cards that you see as options. Phyrexian Espionage as a generally strong blue card. Two blue, sorcery, kicker, one and a black. Draw two if the spell is kicked. Each opponent discards a card. There's destroy evil, one on a white for an instant. Choose one, destroy target creature with toughness four or greater, or destroy target enchantment. If you had told me that that was pack one, pick one consideration at the start of the format, I would have laughed at you. What, was there something specific that let you know what made this not a sideboard card? Because it was someone in Twitch chat letting me telling me all the cost reduction commons being good cards, or at least most of them being good cards, and this hitting all of them means that this always has targets. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it's just like, that's the floor of this card, and the ceiling goes up from there. Yes, and most decks should be running those cost reduction commons. Some aren't. Like, it feels pretty bad if you don't find a target for your destroy evil. But when you do, it's so good. Like, normally this spell costs three or four. And the fact that it's two and lets you double spell and can blow out some of the white enchantment removal is also pretty important. Yeah, yeah. It just does a lot of things. And for me, I hate to admit this, but it was the data. (laughs) Wow. Moment of silence for Ben. (laughs) Rip me. (laughs) Okay. there's also a Tangled Islet, which is the ETB basic blue green land. And then rare, there's a sweet one here. There's Urborg Lurgoif, one in a green for a star slash one plus star with kicker blue and or kicker black. As it ETBs, you mill three cards for each time it was kicked. And its power is equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. Yeah. Okay. This is, again, I mean, this is pretty emblematic of the format. It's pretty flat power level. Like, that's a sweet rare, but not anything to write home about. And I think, you know, if there were perhaps better commons in this pack, you know, Talarian Geyser in this pack, that seems like a pretty clear pack one pick one to me. Yes, I think so. Right. But because we don't quite have that clear cut of a card, we've got a few options here. What did you think about in this pack? For me, it was mostly, I think, Destroy Evil would be like, pretty I want to be white and that's not me at the moment and I think you would be taking a huge hit in power level to do that not a huge hit but a noticeable hit in power level like destroy evil is not a linchpin piece of white decks no and then for me it's rapidly between Phyrexian Espionage and Urborg Lurgoyf Islet a little less so because I would prefer to start blue rather than start domain and I think if you're wanting to start domain you could take Islet here and push down a domain path. I don't think that's crazy, but I want to be blue. So for me, it was Espionage versus Urborg Lurgoyf. And those are just two different decks like blue. I'm in my comfort zone. I'm going to be drafting some sort of blue based spells deck around Tolarian Terror. I think it's the most generically powerful card in the pack. It's going to go in a lot of different decks. And the, the Lurgoyf is I want to do graveyard shenanigans, but it was a little awkward for me in that to me, graveyard shenanigans is base black. And then this is a green card here. And I'd almost right. prefer to be 
black blue with my graveyard decks. That was what pushed me towards espionage. Yeah, it feels like Lurgoyf goes more as like a, I don't know, if we go back to reasons, rewards, role players, um, feels like it's more of a reward. Like you'll take it once you know you're in that self mill deck, but I don't know if I want to take it to get into that deck. For sure. Yeah, so I like taking espionage here. All right, so landed on the espionage, pack one, pick one, pack one, pick two. There's three viable options here, I think. There's an essence scatter in the pack, one in a blue for an instant counter target creature spell that would let you stay blue. There's Raph Weatherlight Stewart as white blue for the one three. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you can tap two untapped creatures you control. If you do, you draw a card. Then you can pay three white white to give creatures you control plus one plus one and vigilance until end of turn. And then your rare is Defiler of Faith. Three white white for a five five vigilance as an additional cost to cast white permanent spells. You can pay two life. Those spells cost white less to cast. If you pay life this way, this effect only reduces the amount of white mana you pay. And it has the ability whenever you cast a white permanent spell, create a one one white soldier creature token. So I think there's several different options here, and I think they're all reasonable. Yeah, for sure. Right. So like if we think about this being pack one, pick one, I actually don't even know what I would take of this for pack one, pick one um, between I think it would be between Defiler and Raph more clearly. I think Essence Scatter would be out because you already have a blue card and a blue spell specifically. I think Essence Scatter gets better. It's I think the worst of those three options, but leaves you, quote unquote, the most open and pushes you down like the most viable options towards the future of the draft. And then I think Raph is like in this awkward spot because you can take it and feel a little bit better about it being gold because you already have a blue card. So it feels less like you're taking, you know, a risk of a two color card. But if you're going to take a card that's pushing you towards blue white, Defiler of Faith might even be better because it's, you know, an awesome five five with vigilance and, you know, gets you more one ones. But that's more of a heavy white deck. So I don't know. It's really hard between those three cards for me. Yeah, well, and I don't think there's a right answer, much like we're going to be saying in this episode. Like, this is not trying to come to the pick. I think it is more what each pick implies that right. people need to understand about the format. And I think I ended up on Defiler here thinking that if I took Defiler, I was going to lean into heavy base white from this point forward if I could. And I think if you want to lean into heavy base blue, you take the essence scatter. Raph, I like the least because it sort of doesn't give you any indication of whether you're base white or base blue. Like Raph mm-hmm. really truly is a, a blue white card. And then it's also awkward that you're moving into white and shipping defiler and passing defiler to right. your neighbor. But on the subject of defilers, these are another type of card that I see in people's decks where they're just they just don't belong. Like defiler needs to be in a heavy white deck with a lot of white permanence for you to really maximize this with a go wide theme. Like it's not it's like a colossipede if you're not doing those things, which is not a good enough card in this format. I had a coaching session the other day and we drafted a really awesome blue red deck with like four Telerian terrors and we had the blue defiler, which which is a five mana four three flyer. When you cast a blue permanent spell, you draw a card and then has the Phyrexian mana text. And at the end of game one, after it sat in our hand while we were doing other things or like not wanting to tap out for five mana and like not hold up shore up or whatever, I was like, I don't think this card actually belongs in this deck, which was crazy to think about that. Like it was just too expensive for what that deck was trying to do in the double spell realm. And I think similarly, you know, if you end up in a whatever, maybe you end up in a blue white deck with Defiler of Faith, but you have like no other white permanents or very few other white permanents, Defiler of Faith is not that great in that deck. Right. And I think that's what's so hard about magic and so hard about this format. I mean, the Defilers literally say on the card, do this thing. 
with right. this card. Like they tell you what to put in your deck. <laughs> and, and it's still sometimes hard to, if you don't have that thing, like make the cut on the defiler for some other card that goes better with your other cards. But I think it's the right thing to do in this format. I agree. Sometimes, not always, which is also why it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So took the defiler there. I've got a Phyrexian Espionage and a Defiler of Faith. Moving forward to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. I think it's really only one here. There's yeah. Terra Sunder, one in a green instant with kicker one in a black, exile target artifact or enchantment. This spell was kicked, exile target non-land permanent. And that's a premium interaction removal spell here. Doesn't go well with either of our first two picks, but there's nothing else in this pack. Like the next best card is a tribute to Urborg. And if you're taking a removal spell, I think you'd rather take Terra Sunder than tribute. Yes, 100%. Right. And like you have one white option and one blue option. And they're both derpy two mana one three commons that like are filler at best. So I think you're just evaluating this pack like what do I think the best card is? And I think it's a clear Terra Sunder here. And then I think before we even get to the next pick, none of these cards are likely going in the same deck, right? So maybe a domain deck like with Espionage and Terra Sunder, but those are definitely different than Defiler. So we're still like feeling out. We've got multiple routes available and we're trying to feel out which one we want to push down for sure. All right, moving on to pack one, pick four. This is like a really important pick here, I think, for this draft. So there's four viable options, I think. There's Essence Scatter, one in a blue instant counter target creature spell if you want to push into blue control, much like we had the option to earlier on pick two. There's Tribute to Urborg, which is the one black instant with kicker one in a blue target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. And if you kicked it, it gets an additional minus one, minus one for each incident sorcery in your graveyard. That I think would push you down a, a blue black Sultai stew root with a Terra Sunder, maybe ultimately ending up in some sort of a domain deck. There's a Tangled Islet in the pack, which is kind of tempting to fix for your Phyrexian Espionage and your Terra Sunder. And then Uncommon, there's Battlewing Mystic to push you into Blue Red, which is the one in a blue 2 1 with Kicker Red. It's a flyer. And when it ETBs, if it was kicked, you discard your hand and then draw two cards. Ooh, really interesting. And do you think about this? So I think obviously Battlewing Mystic is better than Essence Scatter. Do you think about them as sort of going best in different decks? Yes, completely. Like the, the best Blue Red decks, I think, are the Blue Red Hyper Aggro tempo decks and i okay. think in the best blue red decks you don't want copies of essence scatter sometimes you can play them but generally you have the g2 amplifiers and you have balmore so you want to be able to cast all your spells when you want to cast them as sort of pseudo combat tricks and there's some real tension there with counter spells in those g2 amplifier style blue red decks okay 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 makes sense so what did you feel like doing here uh for me this boiled down to Essence Scatter or Battling Mystic. And much like our discussion on the War Leech Phyrexian Rager, I think mm -hmm. Essence Scatter is the Phyrexian Rager in this instance. Like yes. You're just getting into a blue deck and you're probably always going to play your Essence Scatter. But Battling Mystic is a way higher ceiling. Like if blue red flows, I'm totally fine moving off Terra Sunder and Defiler of Faith and getting into a streamlined blue red deck. And I will probably play Battlewing Mystic in most other blue decks. And if we end up in a domain deck, Battlewing Mystic is still going to be a great card. Like randomly, sometimes in a domain deck, you're going to draw it with no gas. Mm -hmm. It's going to draw you two cards. I just think the ceiling is way higher on Mystic. And so it means we're likely going to be juggling more paths from here on forward. But I think it is the highest upside card. Great. Love it. All right, so took Battlewing Mystic. Moving on to pack one, pick five. There's really only one viable option here. And it's Talarian Terror, which feels great after picking up Battlewing Mystic. It's the six blue five five costs one less to cast for each instant of sorcery in your graveyard. And it has Ward 2. If you don't know what that does yet in the format, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but alongside it, there's a Writhing Necromass too. 
which is mm. six and a black, five, five death touch, costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. And I I think we're not going to go back often in these drafts, but there's a world where you navigated this draft where you started with Urborg Lurgoyf mm-hmm. and then like made some other picks and you get to pack one pick five and you see Terror and Necromast and you're like, Terror, who cares about that? I'm in on Writhing Necromast, right? Right. That's the awesome thing about this format. Right, because you have Urborg, Lurgoyf, then you get the Terra Sunder, and then you're making some different pick, pick four. Like you might even take, you might take Tribute, you might take Gibbering Barricade is in the pack, which I've liked in those grindy black decks. You might take a Vine Wall, and then you probably take Necromass, and you're like in on black green, self mill, graveyard recursion, trying to wheel like an Urborg repossession or whatever. Right. So it's just cool to think about that alternate universe, I think, as well. Yeah. Very, very cool. And then pack one, pick six, you get a lightning strike and are pretty in on blue red from there on forward. Yeah, for sure. Well, for and for the graveyard player, there's a Rona, even though maybe people don't like Rona. It's just me. <laughs> just me. Pretty medium, I think. <laughs> pretty medium. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Very, very cool. That's that's interesting. I was about to even say, I was like, when I saw the Telerian Terror, I was like, eh, there's not really a world. Like, no matter what you're doing in terms of the the picks you make prior, you're probably ending up in this blue-red deck no matter what. But I think you're right. I think if you take the Lurgoyf pack one pick one, you end up in a different spot. Yeah, because there's paths that you get to go down, right? Like that's what's so cool about this format is that there's not tons of wrong decisions. But I think one of the traps that you can fall into in the format if you're not careful of, you know, really being a diligent drafter is, well, okay, I'm supposed to end up in a deck. I'm going to draft blue red from the get go. And the the issue with like forcing or trying to carve out a lane for your seat in this format that way is that you miss out on so many viable paths by doing that. And I think if blue red's great, sure, you spike it and you end up with a great deck, but you also are likely passing many other better decks in the drafts where blue red is contested. So you can't just tunnel in too early on an archetype. There really is this dance that you have to do sometime for a long time between multiple archetypes before really ultimately choosing your dance partner that you want to spend the rest of the draft with, you know? Right. Absolutely. One of the things in in this sort of little Twitter back and forth that I had with Alex yesterday after my theorycraft post was he was saying that he thinks that people are locking into their decks too early in this format. Just like you really get rewarded, I think, for feeling things out perhaps a little bit past your comfort zone in the set. Right. And that's my natural tendency as a drafter anyway, which is why <laughs> I'm so rewarded in most drafts in this format, because that's what it wants you to do. It wants you to waffle around and like take high upside cards and like maybe go down this route. Oh, nope, that's closed. Let's pivot and go down this direction. But that's also a very uncomfortable spot for a lot of drafters and a skill that takes time to develop. Like you have to be comfortable sometimes going into pack two with your deck looking like not a deck at all yes. yet, like before it comes together at the end. Yeah, this is <laughs> Ben's turned the the draft world on its head. I feel like you often get criticized. People are like, why is he waffling so much? And this is like waffle the format. Oh, it's still happening. <laughs> on our latest YouTube video, like, yeah, someone was like, well, I don't understand why Ben's waffling so much. And I was like, okay, you right. don't understand the format. Then. <laughs> Sorry, can't help you, friend. Get God, get God. Maybe you should check out our podcast. All right, here is a draft log of mine. Uh, you sit down, pack one, pick one. There are basically three viable options in my mind and a couple honorable mentions. This is a pretty good pack. Two honorable mentions are a couple removal spells, Lightning Strike, one in a red, instant deal three at common, and Extinguish the Light, two black, black, instant, destroy target creature or planeswalker. If its mana value is three or less, you gain three life. Does this card sit 
sitting so high up on the 17 lands uh, game in hand win rate power rankings surprise you at all? Uh, first of all, I didn't know that. I haven't haven't looked at the 17 lands rankings since I peaked that one day early on in the format. But it doesn't shock me. I think 17 lands data for a lot of things in this format is going to be a red herring. Like it's still going to point to generically strong cards because those cards are generically strong. Mm-hmm. But it's going to have, I think, misrepresented data on a lot of the cards like Writhing Necromass or Eerie Soul Tender, where they get played in the wrong decks and their win rate gets lowered. I think Extinguish is good, and I think you're probably never cutting it from a black deck, but it's also not shoving you in a direction at all. So like in some senses, it's keeping you open early in the draft, but also a deck full of Extinguish the Lights is not a winning recipe in the format. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, So those are my honorable mentions. Moving on to the actual mentions, I think the best common overall and the best common in the pack is Tolarian Geyser, Tuna Blue Sorcerer return target creature to its owner's hand draw a card and then if it was kicked for a single white you gain three life moving on to the uncommons we got a really solid domain enabler slash maybe payoff with the land sack we've got sprouting goblin one on red for a two two with kicker green when etbs if it was kicked search your library for a land card with a basic land type so yes this can find the duels put it into your hand then shuffle and you could pay red tap sack a land draw a card and then your rare is Ratadrabic of Urborg, two white black for a 3-3 legendary creature zombie wizard with vigilance in ward two. Other zombies you control have vigilance. And whenever another legendary creature you control dies, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's not legendary. And it's a 2-2 black zombie in addition to its other colors and types. Yeah, it's so funny. So... Spoiler, you ended up on Ratadrabic here, yes? Yes. Because you wanted to draft, I'm assuming, some sort of sweet legends to... Was this pre-Joda Spice or this, this post-Joda post. Spice? So I'm just chasing the dragon. Chase, yeah, tra- chasing the Joda deck, <laughs> I, huh? I trophied with a Joda deck. Um, and so I was just like... I've been calling these... I think... I forget who started doing this, but in original Dominaria, when they changed the border of these legendary cards to have this like curvature at the top, someone started calling the legendaries squigglies. And so I've been uh, adopting that on stream as well, being like, ooh, we get to take Ratadrabic here and draft a Squigglies deck. There you go. So I think looking at this pack, in a million years, I would never personally first pick Ratadrabic. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is, I want to do this thing more than the correct pick. Would you agree with yes, that? Yes, I agree with that. Like if this was whatever, day two of a pro tour, I'm taking Talarian Geyser. Right. And it's so funny because I looked at this pack and I'm like, Boom, I'm in on Sprouting Goblin because Ooh. I still really want to draft Gruel with duels, aka the Gruel Stompy deck. Uh-huh. And so I've been trying and trying and trying to navigate in that deck, and I just cannot get there for the life of me. Yeah. And I think that's also probably not the quote unquote correct pick. I think if you were trying to maximize your win rate, it's what you said. It's Talarian Geyser, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I would also take Sprouting Goblin here because I want to try to draft that red green domain deck. And you're not giving up much equity anywhere as long as you're drafting with a plan and you're taking good cards moving forward, being willing to go down multiple paths. And this is what's so unique about DMU and I think is such a like mental shift from sets we've seen in the past is like in sets of the past, whatever, if Talarian Geyser is the best common in the set and that's what the data says and I think that's generally what folks are agreeing upon but it's nowhere near, in my mind, a blessed hippogriff or an inspiring overseer or whatever those kinds of like, you know, uh, an organ hoarder, those busto busto, serial packmate, top commons of each format that feel like, well, if you're not taking that, 
you're doing it wrong. And Radadrabic is not like some busto rare or something or some unsupported pipe dream. Like you can do this. And black white is a color pair that I like a lot. It's probably the deck I like to navigate my way into the most. And so you're not missing out on big chunks of equity by taking one of these three cards. But the equity you miss is when you take the card and don't understand what that implies for the future of the draft. Yes, that's where you're in trouble. No matter what you're taking, if you don't understand where you're headed, I think you're not going to get there, right? The the journey is the destination or something? Sure. Well, yeah, we, yeah. we'll we'll fix it in post. Um, <laughs> okay, so I took Radadrabic there, and then pack one, pick two. I think there are, again, three viable-ish options. Of the commons, I would shout out Essence Scatter again, one in a blue instant counter target creature spell as just perhaps the card with the highest floor. In the uncommons, we've got Nail Avazoa Aeronaut. This is two green blue for a 2-4 legendary creature elf scout with flying. And it's got domain. When it uh, deals combat damage to a player, you look at the top X cards of your library where X is your domain and you can put one of those on top of your library and then if domain is five, you get to draw that card instead. So a really incredible domain payoff but really probably one of the only domain cards that pushes you towards you know five being important so that's something it's also legendary so there's a super duper soup world where nail and radadrabic can end up in the same deck and then in terms of a black or white card that i like the best out of this pack i am going to highlight love song of night and day which is two and a white for the saga it has read ahead you and target opponent each draw two cards as chapter one create a one one white bird creature token with flying as chapter two and put a plus and plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures is chapter three. I've gotten a lot of questions about this card because I think folks are scared of chapter one and because they're scared of chapter one or think they're skipping chapter one almost always don't think this card is very good. I really like this card. Have you had a chance to play with or against this? I have not played with it. I've played against it and I don't think it's very good. Shocking. I mean, shockingly, I'm sure that you're playing against people who are ma- perhaps not maximizing it. Context really matters and choice really matters. I have, I, like, like we talked about last week and the week before, read ahead I think is awesome, but it's really hard. I think, you know, the more choices you have, the better for the player who's going to make the right choice more often and the worse it is for the player who's not going to make the right choice. So to answer, I think a question that a lot of people have is like, when would you ever want to do chapter one? It's when you are ahead on board behind on cards in hand and just raw card quality or raw cards period is going to be important to you. Like you know that, hey, to close out this game or to keep pressing my advantage, what I need more than a 1-1 bird or more than two counters is just two pieces of cardboard. And certainly if your opponent's stuck on land, sometimes you may want to do that, though often there are going to be times where they're stuck on lands and you go, I actually don't want to dig them out of this mana screw, etc. But chapter one is something that I activate the least. But getting three mana for a 1-1 flyer plus the two counters and then plus sometimes the two counters are hasty or maybe you've got a bunch of griffin protectors and the one one triggers a bunch but again then a body's doing that anyway but then you get the counters next turn i just think this card is is pretty darn good yeah i think it belongs in a base white aggro deck right that's where it's maximized and you're probably not playing it outside of that i think that's true for sure yeah and there's also a citizen's arrest in the pack that's the one white white enchantment removal spell at common that could be honorable mention for me but between those two white cards I mean, it's, it's weird. I just like don't care about removal that much in this format. Like, I feel like I'm going to get it, especially in black, white, like black, white. You don't have to prioritize removal at all because black and white have tons of removal spells. And so this is a, a rager versus war leech question. But I think the ceiling on love song is way higher. And so I'm interested in taking that here. Yeah, for sure. And also with citizens arrest, worth noting that destroy evil is probably just a better card in white decks. I think so. I think that's true. That wasn't apparent to me really prior to this. So I landed on Love Song of Night and Day, but I, I think any of those three cards 
are viable options. I think Nail being the riskiest of the bunch, like if you had taken Sprouting Goblin, pick one, then I think you're taking Nail very happily. Is that correct? Yes, I think so. But with the Radadrabic, I'm taking the love song, clocking that like there's nothing that I'm super happy with here. You know, I, I, I would like a better white or black card to follow this up with, um, but I'm not quite ready to go all in on legendary soup with Radadrabic and Nail. And this is where like we both missed out on some equity by not taking the quote unquote right pick in Tolarian yes. Geyser, right? Because if you take Geyser, you take a clear essence scatter and you're just smooth sailing. Correct. Ahead. Well, and, and even smoother sailing when we get to pack one pick three, where I think we do actually have just a clear best card in Micromancer. This is three and a blue for the three, three uncommon. When ETBs, you can search your library for an instant or sorcery card with mana value one, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. This is another card that we've gotten quite a few questions about, like, you know, when do you take this, whatever. And I was a little worried because this is before I had touched blue. I responded on Twitter. I was like, well, in my mind, this is better than all the blue commons. And you finally followed up. You were like, yeah, absolutely. But it's really not hard to pick up one mana instance. Certainly in blue, you've got shore up and you've got timely interference. Um, and then if you're pairing it with black, you might get access to bone splinters or whatever. If it's good in that deck, you get herbore repossession. I think white just doesn't have any options, but red has flowstone infusion. You know, you're gonna get options for this card no matter what. Well, and they're good cards. And it's not uncommon to have a toolbox where you can get, you know, a removal spell or shore up or timely interference to cantrip or draw cards like card is very impressive. And so this is, I think, a, a unique pack. There's a, a rare and a common missing. Oh, I guess it's a white common, actually. I hadn't clocked that, putting in the old Ben Warney deductive reasoning here. But if this is a rare pack where I think this is just head and shoulders above the rest. Yes, I think so. Like, there's not a good black card. There's not any white card to pull me into keeping down this Radadrabic road. So I just want to do what I think is the best card, and Micromancer is that in this pack. And I think also important note here that you're not tunneling on your first two picks despite having passed two blue cards, right? right. It's not like we passed Geyser, we passed Essence Scatter. Uh, we've got two black and white cards. We should take a black card here. It's not that at all. We're taking Micromancer. You're totally willing to abandon your first two picks if blue continues to flow to push down this Micromancer route. 100% and this is such a unique format where single pipped cards like this that are two for ones that you don't need to play early are fairly trivial to splash if you end up in a domain deck, a deck with a domain package, a deck with some sort of splash package, whatever. Like I I'm also thinking about that when I take this card. Yeah, 100%. So pack one, pick four, we see the following options here. I think there's basically two choices in my mind and maybe only one if you're Ben. Uh, the one choice would be <laughs> Talarian Terror, right? Six and a blue, five, five, ward two. Cost reduction for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. Pushes us further down a blue route. And like what a deck you would have had, right? Talarian Geyser, Essence Scatter, Micromancer, Terror. That's just you know, on easy mode. Yes. I mean, that would be a, a brilliant start to this draft. And then I'm going to try my best. I know I won't be effective, but I'll try my best to sell you on Rona Shouldred's Faithful. This is one blue, black, black for a three, four. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses one life and you can cast it from your graveyard by discarding two cards in addition to paying its other costs. It's legendary, baby. It's legendary, <laughs> baby. That's the best you can say about it. It's legendary. Well, and Radadrabic makes your legendary tokens not legendary. So you can get multiple Ronas in play. It dies. Because what I thought Radadrabic did was exile. Oh, no, 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 no. So Rona dies. You get your Rona token that's a zombie and not legendary. Then you can return Rona on its own. Rinse, repeat. Eh? You're not eh? selling me at all. <laughs> not selling me at all. Two copies of a highly mediocre card is not something I'm jazzed oh about. But at the low, low 
cost of just discarding two cards. Still not happening. <laughs> so, so I think again, if you're, you know, your your win rate maximizing here, Talarian Terra is probably the pick. Though this was like Micromancer less so, Talarian Terra a little more so. I was worried about the two blue spells that I had passed in the Geyser and the Essence Scatter. I was like, hey, am I going to get there with this? And I I did land on the Rona Shouldered's Faithful, but I, I think that's probably a bit more of a meme pick here than a correct pick. Yes, I think that is true. I think even if you had passed the two blue cards early, like I would have started this draft, Sprouting Goblin, probably into Niel, into Micromancer, into Terror. Yeah. Like I'm still thinking I'm going to draft blue if blue continues to flow, even not having taken those first two blue cards. And then the next couple packs, I think, really present themselves with one pick given where I'm at. Um, pack one, pick five, there's a Cult Conscript, which is single black for a 2-1. ETB's tapped. You can pay one and a black to return it from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only if a non-skeleton creature died under your control this turn. I think it's like one of the best non-rares for the black-white sacrifice decks and is pretty sweet if we end up with some kind of self-mill package as well. There's actually quite a few black cards. There's four other black cards in the pack, a Gibbering Barricade and a Phyrexian Vivisector, which is the one of black 2-2 whenever a creature you control dies, scry one. And then maybe if you had pushed down Sprouting Goblin and Niel, do you take Sunbathing Rootwalla here if you're you? Oh, I would slam Rootwalla here and be very happy about it. Yeah, the one yeah. two two that pumps for each basic land type you yeah, have. Yeah, and so you're green-blue at this point, right? Probably thinking about, am I going to be domain or am I going to be more spells for this terror? Right, yes, that would be where my head is at completely. And pack one, pick six sort of seals my fate with a Vohar Vodalian Desecrator, which is blue-black for the one-two. Uh, taps to draw a card, then discard a card. If you discard an instant or sorcery card this way, you drain one, so each opponent loses a life, you gain one, and then you can pay two to sacrifice Desecrator. You can cast target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. Activate only as a sorcery. If you cast that spell uh, this turn, you exile it instead. So that solidifies me in my little Esper Squigglies deck, but you've got just another sunbathing root wall here. Right, and I think doesn't matter, again, <laughs> like, which route you're taking through the draft, and like I think your route is, if I'm being like very honest, I think it's it's suspect. <laughs> it is it is suspect, but the thing that doesn't matter about it is you're such a good drafter that you navigate yourself despite taking several <laughs> suboptimal picks in the first four picks. Like, you navigate yourself into an incredible blue-black deck. Yeah. So again, like, yes, I agree with Ben, suboptimal picks uh, assessment here for sure. But I have a plan. And you ha you better believe, like, I get a little lucky here with, like, I'm trying to do this, you know, legendary thing. I get the blue-black legendaries sort of back-to-back, -back, pack one, pick four, and pack one, pick six. And you better believe those cards aren't there. I'm navigating myself into a functional deck. Yes, completely. And I think what you can take away from what both of us are doing is we've got a plan and we're willing to adjust that plan. And we see how every pick has implications for future picks. If you're not currently thinking on those terms, you need to start trying to think in those terms. And maybe grab a friend and like say, hey, does this make sense? Like I'm taking this card thinking I'm going to try to do X. But I think the danger in this format is you take, you know, a couple cards thinking you're trying to do X and then you mentally lock into whatever that thing is rather than still keeping multiple other paths available. So, you know, with mine, I'm still juggling domain or spells. You're kind of locked in on this legends thing at this point. But if other stuff comes, you're you're going to pivot. I just think if you're not comfortable as a drafter pivoting, this is the format to learn how to do. It. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. All right, we've got one more draft to take a look at here. And this one's going to be a little different in that, like, we don't see a lot of good stuff early. So pack one, pick one, you see the following cards as options. 
And I think there are only three viable options and all of them are lands. Like there's just no archetype linchpins at all no, in this no pack. No busto so, rares like Radadrabic. No, none <laughs> of those things happening. What are you talking about? You've got Yosha so, Declares War here. I've cast this multiple times already. Again, not <laughs> helping your case. Uh, so the lands are blue-white, green-black, and blue-black. And I think the other card that you're supposed to take note of here is Vyashino Branch Rider. The, the red 1-1 one, one with kicker 2 and a green with haste. It was kicked at ETBs with 2 plus and plus 1 counters on it. And it's got the activated ability 2 and a red to give it plus 2 plus 0 oh until end of turn, which you can activate more than once a turn. Yeah, that's true. And shocking news to me after <laughs> I attacked into this with a Tolarian Terror. So you've got three lands. How do you even start to think about what the difference between these three are. Like, I think a lot of people will go, ah, how am I supposed to take a land first? What What's the difference? Well, they all have implications, right? Like, only one of them touches green. So I think if you want to push down a domain route, you're probably taking Haunted Mire there. Mm-hmm. And I think then of the blue ones, you just have to ask yourself, which deck do I want to try to end up in, blue, white, or blue, black? And I think more than anything else, I ended up on the blue-white one specifically because I love Tolarian Geyser and the kicker there is off-white. And so if I'm in a blue deck that has geysers that's not blue-white, then I still maybe have a chance to kick geyser. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Plus, you know, I don't know if you're still there, but, you know, white is a very strong color as well. Not sure how many white decks end up doing domain things. Slash, Not sure how many white decks end up wanting to splash blue specifically. But there's a world where you end up in a white X deck and want to splash a couple Tolarian geysers. For sure. All right, so took the beachfront there. And again, we're looking for paths right now. Like, have have no paths. <laughs> right, this this card does not dictate anything that's going to happen in the future of this draft. Right, have either no paths or all of the paths, depending on how you want to think about it. So pack one, pick two, you see the following cards as options. There's only really one viable option here. Head and Shoulders' best card in the pack is Prayer of Binding, three and a white enchantment flash. When ETBs exile up to one target non-land permanent opponent controls until this leaves the battlefield, you gain two life. Yes. I think you are 100% picking that card. But there are some other cards that you need to, I think, take note of that have spots in decks. And those are Gitu Amplifier, the one and a red, one, two with kicker, two and a blue. When it ETBs, if it was kicked, you bounce a creature. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it gets plus two, plus oh until end of turn. That goes only really well in blue red tempo aggro i think you can also play it in the gruel combat tricks deck i just don't have any experience with it there yet i was gonna say beers sc was in my chat yesterday and he loves the gruel aggro deck and he said this is the best common creature in that deck yeah i would believe it it's very uh damage dealing shall we say yeah, uh, there's yeah. also a Flowstone Infusion, red instant target creature gets plus two, minus two, just a good red card. You want to be able to interact early. Sunbathing Root Wallas are very uh, rampant at the moment, mm-hmm. and this trading mm-hmm. with a Sunbathing Root Walla is big game. And then there's also Captain's Call, three and a white sorcery, make three, one, one white soldier creature tokens. Ben, Captain's Call, not getting the shout out here? Come on, this is a B. Uh, I mean, it's I'm I noted it. I mean, you'll play it in a white go wide deck, but yeah, that's, that's, that's more, I thought that's I was that's more theory crafting for you, right? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Just outing me in front of the listeners here. I don't know. Yeah. I might not have cast a captain's call yet in the format. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I was that's trying to I'm think thinking. maybe once or twice. It definitely has not happened a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So you take your prayer binding there. Moving on to pack one, pick three, where the options start to ramp up. And again, they're not great options, but they imply things for the future of your draft. So yeah. 
there's four things here. There's extinguish the light, 2BB instant, destroy target creature planeswalker. If the mana value is three or less, you gain three life. There's gibbering barricade, two in a black, two, four defender. You can pay two in a black, sack a creature, you gain a life and draw a card. There's Maria's Outrider, four in a red, four, four reach. When it ETBs, it deals damage to each opponent equal to the number of basic land types among lands you control. And then there's a couple of lands also that you could make a case for in Geothermal Bog and Sacred Peaks, Black, Red, and Red, White. Yeah, this is a really interesting pick. I keep wanting to like land on what I think the right thing is, which is just like my podcaster mode happening. But the real thing to do is just talk about what each card does or where each card goes. So Extinguish the Light is like raw power or like highest floor, right? Is the way you want to think about it. Just going to like always do the thing. Your deck needs some number of removal spells, etc. Gibbering Barricade has a lower floor, but a higher ceiling, right? Can be really good in black-white sack decks or Mardu sack decks, can be nice as part of a walls package, and you've got a blue-white land and a white card, and Esper is where the wall stuff is most at home. Myria's Outrider is a really good domain card and is good in this like aggro domain thing, and you could start to think about you know some of the cards you've seen that might wheel. Um, so maybe this is going to be your top end on that Gruel Beats domain deck. And then you could sort of hashtag the lead the decision a little bit with one of these lands, though I like that less as an option. Yes, I agree. And I ultimately ended on Extinguish the Light here as the most generically powerful card, I thought. But I do think you could make a case for Gibbering Barricade, especially if you are on the the Chaplain is the Truth life and are like trying to set yourself up for future Chaplains and just steer into the wall deck. Like there is some sort of an art to drafting in such a way that you are able to maximize Wingmanal Chaplain when you see it while still having a functional deck if you don't see Wingman or Chaplain, you know? So took Extinguish the Light here, pack one, pick three. Moving on to pack one, pick four. There's a Ooh. couple of viable options, I think, here. One is take up the shield, one in a white instant, put a plus plus one counter on target creature. It gains lifelink and indestructible until end of turn. And then I think the other option is Contaminated Aquifer, which is the blue-black tapped land. And those are very different things, right? They're very different cards, but similar in that they're both sort of hoping to tee you up for the future because you still don't have like when you take take up the shield here and you've got removal spell, removal spell, great interactive spell. Part of me is like clenching a little bit. I'm like, are you about to just draft like good cards dot deck? Because that's not a good spot to be in. Right. Yes. Removal spells, creatures and combat tricks. I mean, it's fine, but I think it is. Not a premium strategy, certainly, but no, I am not about to draft that. There's no way. We're four picks in. We just haven't seen any good cards yet. Exactly. So I think it's it's not a reason to panic, but each of these things has implications, right? Take up the shield says, I want to be heavy white. Taking contaminated aquifer says, I either want to try to get into blue and maybe the packs have just been weak for blue or it's going to set you up to do domain things and or keep you the most open, right? You're You're sacrificing mm-hmm. a little bit of openness to take take up the shield here. And I think it's a lot different if these lands don't touch blue specifically, right? If you had like, uh, for some reason, if you had a white red land in your pack and this was a red black land, I think you'd be much less inclined to take it because blue is so good and so deep and you're so likely to see splash worthy blue cards. I think setting yourself up to have blue lands is worthwhile. Whereas if these weren't blue lands, I think they're a little less um, appealing. Yeah. And I think regardless if you're thinking your domain any duels are probably going to be good for you and in fact sometimes in the domain deck like the rando double off color duel right. is the most impactful especially in that like gruel beatdown deck yeah if you've got if you especially if you have like a sprouting goblin that can search it up oh and can we talk about just real quick how bad i'm sure you haven't even 
touch this card with a 10 foot pole, but I can assure you that slime foot survey is unplayable garbage. Wow. I don't think it is. God, this format is so good. (laughs) Oh my God. I've put that card in multiple decks and every time I've, cause I, I thought like, Oh, I really just don't have the ways to get domain. And every time I've seen them, I've been like, oh, I already have all four colors, and this card now does stone nothing. Yes, I think that is largely true. You just haven't cast Slimefoot Survey with Tachova on the battlefield yet, then. Oh, I have not. Yeah, so okay. you get, you get okay. two three threes right yeah. away, which is yeah. pretty nice. That's pretty busted. Yeah. Okay, so, all right, never mind. I've, Back on the menu. I've had some double Tachova decks that run a Slimefoot Survey. That's fair. Okay, God. Context with a capital C. Yeah, but I agree. In general, it is not what you want to be doing to fix your mana. For sure. All right, moving on to pack one, pick five. You see three viable options again here. First up is Tail Swipe, single green instant. Choose target creature you control and target creature you don't control. If you cast the spell during your main phase, the creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, and then those creatures fight each other. There's also Yavamaya Iconoclast, one and a green for the three, two with Trample, Kicker Red. When it ETBs, if it was kicked, it gets plus one, plus one, and gains haste until end of turn. That really goes very well in the Gruul Stompy deck, but I think you have to be very focused on stomping. Like this just in a random green deck is not that impressive. Right. Though this does give you a kind of direction if you were to take it here, right? You're a little listless, and I think the Iconoclast gives you a direction, though it also says you're abandoning your first four picks. Yes, and I think the other viable option are two lands, which are black, red, and green, black. And again, you could take those and try to set yourself up for domain stuff down the future. And I actually took Tail Swipe here, and this was before the Gruul Stompy deck and how well Yavamaya Iconoclast fit into that archetype was on my radar. I think now I would take Iconoclast here, hoping to wheel that branch rider that we saw. Right. Pack one, pick one. Yeah, I think I would too. I think I would too. But again, this is that sort of what card is higher floor, higher ceiling. Tailswipe has a higher floor. Iconoclast has a much higher ceiling. Well, and also I think an incorrect pick in the sense of like, I didn't see a final path where you have my iconoclast was great in my deck where it really exists also and that's a super important thing right so if you don't know what the end game is for all of these archetypes it's hard to see how to get into them or the path that you take to get into them and i i missed it here because that wasn't on my radar yeah that makes sense so took a tail swipe over iconoclast i think in incorrectly or not incorrectly but definitely missing out on a path by not taking iconoclast there Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good place to wrap this up. You get a you get a Jodas Codex pick six and then a land pick seven, another land pick eight and kind of set yourself up to do domain stuff. But I think worth noting the branch rider didn't wheel, which is mm. kind of wild. So if you had taken yeah. that iconoclast, you may have gotten had to abandon ship on that route. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're looking at this final deck. Yeah, it just looks like a nice value base green domain pile. Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's totally fine. Deck went 4-3. It was nothing, nothing to write home about. But I do think, you know, speaking of the wheel there with Vyashino Branch Rider not wheeling, you get so much information from the wheel, right? Like, so if you wheel Vyashino Branch Rider there and you had taken the Iconoclast, you're in probably on Gruel Beats, assuming you wheel like a, a combat trick or you wheel the Maria's Outrider, you wheel the Flowstone Infusion. So you're set mm-hmm. up to do that, assuming the Branch Rider wheels. When that Branch Rider doesn't wheel... I'm like, whoa, you know, 
we're abandoning ship here because you don't want to fight with someone over that archetype. Right. That's the kind of archetype where you want to be able to take a good card out of the first pack, like a lightning strike or whatever, and then wheel your derpy aggressive one drop. And when the one drops aren't wheeling, that deck is going to fail. Right. And if you're, for example, just random drafts, if you're wheeling soul tenders, black graveyard stuff is open. If you're wheeling Tolarian terrors, God forbid, right. blue, blue stuff is open. If you're wheeling Argivian phalanx, white is open like just knowing what cards are important to the archetypes and if they wheel and and maybe it doesn't mean that white's open maybe it means the white drafters are crazy either way you're going to end up with the white good cards right either way that's information that if you're not clocking that eh, keyword clocking uh, <laughs> if you're not clocking it you're leaving equity on the table yes completely agree Woo. All right. Are you skipping band today? Are you just playing dmu all day I, god i wish i have to leave like <laughs> write meow and go to band but <laughs> And I haven't gotten to play anywhere nearly as much DMU as I wanted this week. In fact, almost none at all. Still have a draft video to record for CFB that's overdue. And I'm hopefully going to be streaming a bunch on Sunday. And DMU is going to be greater than the NFL for me. Wow. Any parting thoughts before we go? No, I I mean, I I think this was a pretty clear next step for us in terms of episodes of like, let's just talk about navigating drafts. And I'm a little, you know, much like how the drafts present themselves. We have a bunch of different paths that we can push down for future episodes. And I'm just, you know, brainstorming about what I think we need to do next. We need like five months to podcast about this I know. That's what I'm saying. teach people so many things. So I think if you're looking for takeaways from this episode, thing number one you have to be able to do to be successful as a drafter in this format is you need to know what the end decks look like. And whether that's getting in the Lords of Limited Discord and, you know, scrolling through the trophy channels and engaging in discourse with people about their trophy decks, or it's just going on to the 17 lands and looking at the trophy decks, you need to have a clear picture of what the archetypes look like. And then the second thing you need to know is which commons push you towards those archetypes. And I think the third thing you really need to be able to do is juggle multiple paths along the drafts, not lock in too early and take high upside cards aggressively, take the monstrous war leeches of the world. And I think be willing to move off them if stuff's not open and don't lock in too early because you miss out on so many viable paths with so many good cards. Or you can also, just in the in the Phyrexian Rager camp of the world, you can take the higher floor, lower ceiling cards and leave yourself a little bit more open for getting better stuff in pack two or potentially pack three, but that requires patience and sort of a trust the process mentality. Yes, and, and the Phyrexian Rager approach also, right, to tie it all back, that says I want to be black and I want to get into black and you're trying yes. to get in deep into one color and then figure out what else is coming that you can pair with black. And I think the war leeches, I'm willing to bob and weave and dive and roll like in any different direction, you know? (laughs) Yes, for sure. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro to read all that sweet front-loaded limited content, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.